Hello, Career Cohort. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Emily Wong, founder of Words of Distinction. We talk about tools for achieving career success, inspirational stories about overcoming career and life challenges, and how we can recalibrate our perspective to better enjoy the journey forward. Hello, my guest today really needs no introduction. Ann Janser has been on my show before, and she is the author of eight books on writing. Did I get that right? I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you have to say, I think that's really telling. I mean, you, you have so many books out there, you can't keep track. Anne is a trailblazer when it comes to advice for the modern writer because she stays a step ahead so she can serve as a guide for adapting our writing as we navigate new technology and new ways our readers consume content. Anne just released her latest book, The Writer's Voice, which gets to the heart of the steps we need to take to strengthen our voice when writing. Now, I'm going to include Anne's formal bio in the show notes, but right now I want to dive in and pick Anne's brain, as I love doing. And so the first thing I'm going to ask you, Anne, is why did you write this book? Why write about voice? Because it's such a rich topic and it's so misunderstood or has so many different definitions and ideas floating around about it. And I feel like if we're talking about writing craft, to, to focus in on voice is one way to really get at craft and writing. It's a great container for writing. Uh, most of us don't want to say, well, I, you know, I need to be more grammatically correct, or I'm interested in the, you know, the, the, how my prose looks, but they really care about how they show up in mm -hmm. writing. We, we really care. And in the world today, yes, there's a lot of audio, there's a lot of visual, but our words represent us so often and in so many ways, and especially in the professional world as well. So we really care how we show up in those words. And I think that we don't really realize it. You know, you know I'm a big disciple of servant authorship, right? I think that when we're thinking about our voice, we're thinking about it in terms of ourselves. And we forget that really, as you point out so well, and you've been instructing us so well, Anne, that it's about the reader yeah. as much as it, as it is about ourselves, maybe even more. And I've made this now my North Star when I write. And I don't always get it right. But if I have this guiding principle, it's so helpful to me. Yes, yes. It's such a wonderful thing to cling on to, to think of, well, how am I best serving the reader with this? Because... For one thing, it gets our focus off ourselves and, and, and focusing yes. on ourselves is where we run into a lot of problems with writing, um, getting worried about what people think and, and all of that. It can inhibit our creativity. It can make our writing less fluid. Lots of bad things can happen when we focus too much on ourselves. That's so interesting, too, because when we take classes or we're learning about how to present give a presentation, it's always about the audience, right? Exactly. And that's one of the tools we use, just as you're saying, we need to get out of our own head and worrying about ourselves and what we look like. And it's more, what do they need? Uh, there's something that you have. I'm going to quote this from your book. Let me find this. I have my sticky note here. I love seeing sticky notes in books. <laughs> That's because I'm really not good at writing in books, even though this is a workbook. 
We'll get into that later. Okay. <laughs> uh, where is that? So it's identify the readers we serve, our intention for them, and what they need from us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we think so hard about how we want to show up. And what we really need to think of is, well, what does this person, how do they need me to show up? What do they need from me? Mm-hmm. And this applies to, you know, even even hopping on a Zoom call. How does someone need to, assuming it's not a personal Zoom call, on a professional Zoom call, how do they need to see what is it that they need you to show up as? And certainly in our writing and in our professional writing, it's it's so interesting because, you know, occasionally I, I do do some business writing coaching with people. And one of the things that can be the most damaging is that they hear, oh, you really need to work on your writing. Your writing is not good. And um, that puts all their focus in their head. And then they start doing crazier things with their writing, <laughs> trying to make it better, as opposed to just thinking, it's not serving this person's needs. So how am I going to serve their needs better? What is it they're looking for? You know, it, it's all a matter of where we put our focus. And we can be so much more effective as writers when we are other focused, when we are thinking about the reader and what they need, because they ultimately are the judge and jury of whether or not we are effective in our writing. And you touched on something kind of tangential too the fact that if somebody's saying your writing isn't good, well, how is it not good, right? Exactly. <laughs> Let's get specific. And yeah, top of mind, we're worried about our grammar. Uh, we're worried about, you know, if we're sending an email, we may be in a fire drill mode or we might be in a defensive mode. And how yeah. do we get aligned with our reader and making sure that, again, what do they need to hear? What's going to add value to them? Exactly. You know, the, the, the acid test of this, let's say, is some of the kind of career writing. If you're writing a cover letter to go with a resume or something where really the focus is kind of on you, right? This mm -hmm. is the, the the ninja situation, right? Yeah, yeah. How do you be other focused when the subject is you? And I've seen this situation simply lock people up uh, in their writing. It's of course it's it's scary, right, to put yourself out there and be judged. Um, and so, of course, we want to present our best self, but we also want to present something of our real self. There should be not a disconnect between the voice that comes through in the writing. And then if they meet you in person, they should appear to be the same person. Yeah. Um, so the question becomes, how do we still think about, well, what is it that this person needs to know about me? How do I want to show up? And, you know, again, trying to put yourself in their perspective of what they're mm -hmm. looking for in a teammate and how that matches with what you have to offer or, or things like that. Um, it's very hard to get out of our own heads because we live there all the time. <laughs> right, right. And you kind of talked about that, um, you know, how do you show up? You want people are expecting you to show up a certain way. And I know your background and just to get to go back a little bit, I think your first book was on subscription marketing, right? Exactly. Yes. So you know about brand consistency. Yeah, yeah. And that's to some extent, we are all presenting a personal brand. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of that, you know, personal branding, whatever. However, we do want to present a consistent face to people in certain situations. Uh, so one of the exercises in the voice workbook 
comes from my marketing background. I consulted with more than 100 different tech companies over my consulting career. So I've moved to one and moved to the other. And, you know, they say, write something for our website or write a thought leadership paper. And I'm thinking, well, how do I write it and sound like VMware versus sound like this really hip startup where people are riding around on scooters? And, you know, how, (laughs) which it's all true. Um, And so, what what does their brand voice mean? And so I share, you know, I would come up with a few adjectives and I would press them on this or I would interpret it based on what I could see their existing content. Mm-hmm. You know, do you want to be more, you know, are, are you more trusted or are you more cutting edge, right? Those are kind of different things. Are you, you know, expert or are you more innovation or, are, you know, and what are the what are the adjectives you're coming up with? So one of the exercises in the voice book is to come up with three adjectives for yourself that would you would like to represent you in the body of work or the body of writing that you do, at least professionally. You might use different adjectives for your family, of course, or, or uh, fiction writing. You may have different adjectives. But to say, you know, and, and no more than three, because really you're lucky to inhabit or exhibit one or two in any given thing that you write. Um, but it's so useful to think about that. And then as you're writing further on, it gives you an anchor. It's like, well, how should I approach this? Well, if my, one of my core adjectives is compassion and another is curiosity, then I'll use those to bring me into this, into this topic, something like that. So, um, Mm -hmm. a three adjectives exercise is super, it seems easy, but coming up with the adjectives, you know, you might mess around and toss one and add another and experiment. It's a useful thing to do in your professional life for sure. And that's just one of your fun exercises because you have a series of 12, right? And they're broken down by week. Very manageable, very fun. You walk your talk. And that's the thing too. Let's get back to this. I will tell you from personal experience, Anne, a couple of years ago, I was taking a fiction class. And I was looking for a book on voice and I came across Ben Yagoda's book, which is outstanding. And I love that book. And I know you've read that book. Yes. The thing is about that book, though, that is for people who are really, really, really into writing, right? Deeply. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) And so your book is you have these bite sized, digestible lessons that are fun You can use the workbook, you can write in the workbook, which is great for me because even though our guy, Roy Peter Clark, always encourages us to write in the margins and write in our books, I can't do it. I cannot get myself to do it. So (laughs) thank you for giving us a workbook. You're welcome. (laughs) And and, and then the other thing is that just because we're moving and one of the things that you're always talking about, Anne, is like moving away from this. And I know you'll talk about a little bit that academia, where we we learn how to write academic papers, which is not what we're doing now. And to prove the point, you're keeping it fun, you're keeping things quick and fun, and you're not giving up creativity. You have these wonderful section headers, pick words that pack a punch, (laughs) whittle down the weak words. Look around for similar sounds, right? (laughs) So this is, you know, this book is so fun because you're walking your talk, you're making it fun, 
And, you know, we're learning by going through this. I'm a huge fan of alliteration. I probably use it too much because I think it's so fun. So I really appreciate that. Good. I really wanted to make it fun and accessible, right? So Ben Yagoda's book, The Sound on the Page, wonderful read, but unless you really identify as, like you said, a a writer's writer, I mean, you're writing seriously, it may seem like this is other than you. And what I want to get to people is, look, we all almost instinctively shift our voices when we speak. We can do it when we write. You just have to learn these handles and you can have fun and you can experiment and you probably have way more breadth of writing voice than you even realize right now. So I did a lot of sort of extreme experiments, like try to go whole hog way more than you ever would writing this or writing that. And I just have to confess, I just had a lot of fun coming up with them and trying those exercises. And I do them. They are very freeing. Um, uh, it, it taught me more about my own writing voice working on this on this book, of course, because I was trying to be very thorough and it was a lot of fun. So I'm hoping people can approach it with that kind of a playful experimental mindset. Yeah. Another uh, area that I thought was fun and very, very helpful to me was your exercise of taking content and breaking it down by sentences so that you have space between each sentence so you can really look at it and then say, Ooh, is this too long? Oh, and then reading it, right? Reading your own work. Yes. Reading aloud. Uh, The sentence exercise was based on another book whose name escapes me right now, but I will come up with it. And I mentioned in the book um, where he did the whole, he wrote the whole book on one sentence or clause per line. I mean, the entire book, because he said, you know, master the simple sentence. Once you've done that, you can do more, but there's no room for confusion, obfuscation, whatever in a simple sentence. And so I came up with an exercise, and this is someone anybody can do, take something you've written and just try to put one sentence per line and see, are all your sentences super long? Are they all super short? What does it look like? This is really helpful in understanding the rhythm and the complexity of our writing. And if, for example, you write for a lot of online reading, if you're writing a blog post or emails, you should have more of those short sentences, not all, but it's nice to have a mix of, of sentence length. It makes your writing just more interesting and less dull for the reader. Simple little things like that are really fun to play with. Yeah. And especially since we're writing for people who are often reading on their phones, those sentences, even if it's one sentence, could be five lines long. Exactly. And it looks like a paragraph, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, Speaking of the rhythm, I'm going to read my favorite sentence from your book. (laughs) Okay. So, and this is from uh, week four. So I guess that's chapter four, right? Find your sentence rhythm. If the words are musical notes and punctuation percussion, sentences are the melodies that they create. I love that. That's so beautiful. Good. Thank you. Yeah, it's, you know, the first part of the book, we pick apart and we look at, okay, well, how does your voice express their words through punctuation? And now it's how do you put these together into sentences? It's just such an interesting way to deconstruct voices, how it exists on the page in the black and white. Uh, and I think we need to think of the, the musicality of our writing uh, for a lot of reasons. One, more and more people are doing like speech to text. You might write a, an email and it's someone's going to have it read to them. 
it, either because there's a site issues or more likely they just don't want to spend all that time reading. And, and so a lot of things are, are done mm-hmm. audio. People listen to podcasts and audiobooks. But second, because when people read silently, they actually, a lot of people almost hear an inner narrator in their voice. So they are, they are hearing your words in a voice. And so you can uh, influence that by the way you construct your sentences. Um, and every now and then I'll, I'll, I'll pick up a book by some you know, famous classic writer and I'll just read and I'll just think, oh, those words just wash over me in such a nice way. The sentences are so beautiful. And we can bring a little bit of that to our work by paying attention to the rhythm, to the sounds of the words and the sentences. And going back to that breaking the sentences down, you can see if all the sentences are written as the same length, that can be a little boring, right? Gets monotonous. Yeah, exactly. And so when you have like, you have a long sentence and then another long sentence, and then you end with a punch, maybe a short, punchy sentence. Yep. That's one of my favorite things to do is just to just poop. You put the, the kicker in a short sentence at the end uh, right. and it really, and then end a paragraph and, and it's, it's, it's not quite a mic drop, but it has that little bit of an effect of really summoning up and getting the reader's attention. It's all super subtle, but it's still happening in the reader's head if they're paying attention and reading. And I know too, when you, I'm on your newsletter list, I love your newsletters because they are really you kind of write them in chunks. And I noticed that you're actually, I mean, your writing has always been very easy to read and and um, and gets to the point. But I have noticed in your last newsletters, they, they've become a little bit shorter. So what I've done recently is just, because I have more things I want to share than just the post. So I put heading thing, heading thing, and then I mm-hmm. start the post and say, if you want to read the rest of it, because I was feeling a little bad about putting all these really long emails on people's email, <laughs> in people's email inboxes. So it's like, if the beginning of this post sounds interesting to you, go read the whole thing online. Right. Um, but so, yeah, one question is how much should you put in an email? Can people even really process, uh, you know, a long thing in an email? I notice I don't read as well long things in emails. I tend to come back and, you know, read differently when I'm reading on the page or at my desktop. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, so that was a conscious decision I made recently. But you said something about, you know, being easy to understand. And I, I, I just have to focus on this. I was working with somebody recently uh, who's at a, a major tech company. Uh, English is not his first language. And so I was doing some coaching with him. And he was showing me what, you know, he'd write something. And then his manager, he, he was trying to model his writing after what other people had written. So he would take their sentence structures and plug in his ideas. And this is just a recipe for disaster, right? Uh, and when he spoke, he was very easy to understand, very clear. His sentence structure, grammar, fine. An occasional prepositional thing that an AI grammar tool can fix in a second. Who cares, right? Easy, easy. But he was trying to write this way. And I said, but, you know, so tell me, do you find this, this thing that you just read to me easy to read? And he says, no, no, it's not. And I said, well, so how many people on your team uh, are native English speakers, you know, or multilingual and English is not the first language? And he said, well, really, two thirds of us, English is not our first language. Like, well, then this is not good writing for your team. He's like, what do you mean? It's not good writing. It's my manager's writing. It's not good. (laughs) It's not effective. I struggled to understand this thing. So it's not effective. And he said, well, and why do people write that way? I said, well, that's how we're taught in school. He said, why do they teach you that? I said, I don't know. 
<laughs> so we have this funny thing about wanting to sound super educated. And, and then this educated is not the right word. We want to sound like the people around us. We want to belong in the way that we write. And if the people around us, especially the people maybe with more power in an organization than we do, write in this way, we're going to emulate this. And then we have this self-fulfilling, this generates more difficult writing because it's so much harder for people to write and it's so much harder for people to understand. I mean, the productivity losses, I'm just going to say, are enormous of this situation. Um, So it is such an interesting dilemma. Um, my, My solution for him was to say, Go ahead, use all, when you're writing for your team, use all the inside terms and, and slang and whatnot. You know, they had a whole bunch of language that was unique to their team and products. Use it all. If it's just going to the team, go ahead, jargon it up, but make your sentences like Hemingway. You know, <laughs> write simple sentences filled with whatever jargon you want. And you'll be so much, you know, you can, he could express his ideas very clearly once he stopped trying to emulate the writing around him, which was. Right. Really interesting. So, you know, if you experience this yourself, if you see, well, this is the way my manager writes, it may not be the way that you really want to. And he did say when I asked him, he was saying, well, every now and then I get something that someone has written that's just so easy to understand. And it just makes me so happy. (laughs) (laughs) What a gift you could give people by writing (laughs) something that's just easy to understand. They're like, Oh, thank heavens. I don't have to plow through another impenetrable memo. Yeah. Um, don't you want to be the person that, you know, people are happy when they, they read what you right. write? <laughs> well, you said too, and you you did didn't you do an audio book for your subscription? I did. Book. And wasn't that one of the triggers for you to decide, oh, we need to figure this out, this voice thing? Because you were stumbling over, not stumbling, but maybe yeah. su- subscription was a word. Well, okay. There, there was a couple <laughs> things going on there. One was subscription. You know, if you have to say that a lot, there's, there's a lot of uh, plosive continents and things in there. So that was my first uh, audio book. So I was, I was going up the learning curve of being a narrator. And uh, happily, I did a second edition of the book. But even as I was drafting the first one, what happened was I had written for so long for all of these different tech companies that I just got used to inhabiting various varieties of brand voice, right? I could write as sort of an an invisible we that was this trusted, reliable company. You know, I just, this is what I did. Mm -hmm. And when I sat down to write write a book in my own voice, it wasn't like just writing a blog post. It was a book. It was a longer relationship with the reader. And... It took me a while. I, I start writing and I'm like, this sounds very generic and brand. <laughs> Who's writing this? Who is this Ann Janzer writing this? It's not me. So it took me several passes. And I did the first edition. And about two years later, I did the second edition. And that's where I really had become comfortable with my voice as an author, which was different than what I had read first. So I also got to re-record the audiobook. And the thing that I learned between the first and second edition, was that not only was I writing a book, I was writing a script for an audiobook. And every every author should think about that as well. So it really, I knew it needed to sound well. I, I would actually try reading aloud the things that I'd written. I go, oops, nope, I don't want to record that. <laughs> I gotta, I'm going to make that sentence easier. Um, so the growth of audiobooks 
uh, really should help us all as writers. I think it made me a better writer realizing that I would have to read aloud and record the words that I was writing. That is such a great point about making sure that this is going to sound right when I'm going to do an audiobook. The other thing that, you know, you talked about the three adjectives, and that also feeds into one of the other areas that I thought was really interesting was defining, are you going to be an authoritative voice? Or are you going to be a guide? Or are you going to be a companion? Yeah. And when I read your books, I think of you as my guide because you're, you're, you're ahead of me, but you're also kind of my friend. And even before we were friends, that's how I thought of you. And I could hear your voice. That's great. That's great. That makes me really happy. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm, I'm the same way. And I feel like writing resumes, yes, it, it, it takes training and, and I have to continually hone my skill, but I don't have my PhD. I'm not a rocket scientist. I shouldn't write like a rocket scientist. Exactly. Right. And, you know, there are, there are a lot of people also who are learning and they're just a, one step ahead, which is a great way to teach others as well. And that person might consider themselves more of a companion. Hey, I just tried this and this worked. So maybe you want to try this. Yes. So that place between the companion and the, and the authoritative figure, I'm just, I like to have conversations with people I like to guide. And so that also helps me when I'm choosing words. Yes. And, you know, this is an important thing when we want to write for our careers. Let's say we want to write some blogs, build some thought leadership. A lot of people are just like, I'm not stepping into thought leadership. I mean, what? who am I to say that I'm an expert in the thing? And, you, you know, you don't, I think we're misunderstanding what thought leadership means. Uh, Denise Brousseau defines it as somebody who, influences others who then go on to influence others, right? So if you are a, you know, have some experience and expertise that is of value to share with others, you share that, you can show up, as you said, like a companion, like I'm just a little bit up or I'm a guide. I, this is what I've learned, some hard lessons. This is what my research, you can be journalistic and throw in a bunch of research as well. You know, I've done a bunch of research on this topic and this, you know, can, aligns with my experiences and you share that, um, and it's, I think, easier for people to step into that kind of expertise or guidance as opposed to saying, I am the expert in this thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think perhaps, and not to make generalizations, but I think, you know, if we were to generalize, men are a little more likely, women are a little less likely to jump in and say, I'm the expert in this thing. Men are slightly more likely. Women like to be really prepared, have all our ducks in a row. Uh, so if we broaden the way we approach this. If we say it's okay to be a, a guide, someone who's further along, you are helping and advancing people as opposed to saying you are the be-all, end-all expert on something. And then the more you do this guiding, of course, the more you deepen your expertise anyway, mm -hmm. and it does absolutely build. But it's something to think about how, how you want to show up in relationship to uh, the reader of your piece. Yeah. Is there any part of the book, Anne, that you found like the most fun or that you got the most feedback as fun feedback from the people who you were testing this book with? You know, I had the most fun 
with the exercises where I'd ask you to do something really absurd. Like I, you know, I, I wrote, tried to go as far as I could in jargony and formality. And so I wrote how to tie your shoe in legalese. And I think I shared that in the book because it was just, I mean, I just had a blast doing that, but it still taught me things about writing and maybe, you know, oh, I'm, I might've used that. Maybe that's too far. Um, when I talk to people, it's so interesting because different things resonate with different people on this book. I've asked people what their favorite exercises were, and I've gotten almost as many different favorites as I've talked to people, which I think is really, really interesting. Uh, so I, it's hard to say. I just tried to make sure that everything, that there were lots of doors into this. And I think it's something that people, you know, are likely to come in and read and just do the couple things that they think are most useful and then come back and experiment with some of the others. Some will feel more natural to you. For example, I, I did, when I was trying exercises, I decided to write something in the format of a, that I would post in a literary journal or something. And so I read some excerpts from literary journals and then started writing in that style. And I'm like, hey, this is really fun. I should do something in this style, you know, to try yeah. something new. It's like trying on a, a completely different a set of glasses or hairstyle right. or something, even if you're not going to keep it on. You know, that's a great way to learn too. I mean, kids now have art in action in the classroom where they're copying a style of a a famous artist, which I, I feel like we grew up in a time where if you did that, it was considered plagiarism, but you're mm. experimenting with that style. Yeah. Do you have a favorite person, like a journalist or someone who writes books or someone who's an expert on writing that you like to kind of look to and, and, and you look at it and you kind of learn and you think, wow, that was such a neat way they put together that sentence or paragraph? Yeah, I, you know, I just cast a really wide net. I mean, I have so many favorite authors, right? But I do just like to open up, like I'll be reading a book by someone, entirely new, interesting subject, and a passage just strikes me. And I'll think, look at what they did with that. Look at how they, and I think I shared a couple in the book of a book I happened to be reading at the time about, I can't remember, something about Siberia. I'm like, look at how these these paragraphs match the train journey they're discovering. You know, yes. it's just, it's yes. opening your eyes to, to seeing this stuff all around us. Some beautiful writing needs to be admired and, and uh, you know, emulated wherever we can find it, I think. I love yeah. that passage. And if I remember it properly, the first part of it was long and the sentences were long and languorous. Is that a word? Yes. Yeah, it was... Describing yeah. what the train journey across Siberia used to be like. And it was long sentences with lots of little dusty sideways. And by, and then it's like, and now people fly in a day or so. Yeah, and it, it just like, it totally mirrored, the rhythm mirrored the content, which I thought was beautiful. Yeah, I loved that example that really illustrated what you were trying to get across. Uh, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Roy Peter Clark. Me too. I know you are too. And I know he has a blurb on your book, yes, which yes. is really exciting. I have a number of his books too. And I've also, and your books as well, and reading and then saying, okay, how did he end it? And he, I notice, I, he doesn't do it all the time, but I do notice he has those, that last short sentence with a twist. Yes. And I've always loved that about his writing. It's kind of his signature style. And yeah. I, I, really encourage anyone to follow him 
uh, if you just type in Roy Peter Clark, he's an excellent example of what you're talking about too. And for Definitely. the um, his Definitely. articles, because he still does a lot of journalism. Yep. And if you see an author, you know, who does something like that, then it's like, oh, I want to try that. Try it. You know, try mm-hmm. it. I think that's that's uh, that's not copying. That's standing on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> And by the way, I don't copy Roy Peter Clark. No, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Of course not. Uh, um, By the way, I have to say during COVID, he put something out on Twitter and said, if you want me to come to your classes, your students' classes, I'm available. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to him and he came to my son's uh, senior English class. No way. Yeah. Yeah. this This was a major coup because the English teacher... Alex had a really wonderful English teacher that year, and he was a big fan of Ray Peter Clark. So honestly, Alex didn't get any favoritism after that, but it was <laughs> it was a pretty cool thing because some people think that people aren't accessible, but they really are. And uh, yeah, yeah. You know, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. So I just wanted to just kind of stress at the end, um, just because something's important to me, doesn't mean it's important to the reader, right? And yeah. I think that going through your book and you know following you for such a long time, and it's I, I'm I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I'm going to be continuing to learn, but it, we it's, all are. It's really important, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I thought I thought of something because in your newsletters you do these challenges, which I love. And this episode is going to be released in October. And I was thinking about Christmas letters. And I have family members and friends who are actually really good at writing Christmas letters that I want to read. But that's probably one of the most difficult things to write for an audience. Ooh, maybe that should be the December challenge, a holiday letter to send to your family. Ooh, wow. Okay, I got to think about November, that. Or maybe November or October or November. And the reason I'm saying that, Anne, is that in December, they might have already sent it. Not my family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. My mom uh, sends hers out in time for Chinese New Year, usually. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, yeah. I, I'm noticing a trend. I honestly feel like COVID, that whole experience, gave us all kind of leeway. I've been getting the holiday letters as late as, I think the latest one I got this year was April. And you know what? It's fine. I love hearing from people. And I love the fact that the the holiday spirit is being spread out. So, you know, my my holiday letter this year may be, I'm actually thinking of doing a New Year's letter just because my family hasn't, we've been kind of, there are four of us and we've been all over the place. And sometimes three of us are together and sometimes you know, two of us are together, whatever. But I think I might just send out a New Year's letter this year or a Valentine's letter. (laughs) Right. Right. Right? Uh, So anyway, is there anything else, Anne, that you wanted to add or any um, words of encouragement before we go? Sure. You know, you don't have to buy the book to have permission to experiment with your voice, to think about the adjectives, to be playful writing things as, as exercises. You don't have to share them with people, but just, you know, say, what would happen if I wrote this as like a super confident uh, something? Or what would happen if I wrote this, you know, in a journalistic way or an artsy way? Um, you may discover that you have a lot more writing breadth 
and comfort uh, that then you know when you start playing with some of the extremes. So I would encourage you, you know, just when you're done listening to this and you're back later, something you want to write, even if it's an email to someone, write a draft that you're not going to send that's, you know, entirely, you know, super optimistic or super encouraging or super, I don't know, super expert or confident or whatever that you feel you... If there's something you want to bring a little bit more of to your writing, say confidence, try to go all in on it and be the extreme that you would never send, but see what that does to loosen you up. Just give it a try. That's a fun exercise. Yeah. And did you want to just share how people can reach you and... Sure. Uh, the, and get the your book, by the way. And get my book. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The the book is available. You know, it's called The Writer's Voice, and that's on Amazon, and it's available... Uh, through retailers, you might have to order it through your indie bookstore, for example, um, or bookshop.org, which benefits indies. Uh, you can find out more about me. You can join my my writing list at anjanzer.com. And I do every other week emails about writing and monthly giveaways of writing-related books. So if you are a writing book collector, you might want to be on the, on the list. <laughs> That's right. And I am proof that Anne walks her talk because I've been the beneficiary of a couple of those books. So she really does give them away. So that's really a great incentive to join your your list. Thanks. I do indeed. It's fun. And it keeps me reading new and old and classic writing books. Uh, so it's a lot of fun for me to do. And, and by the way, it's not just for the books to follow Anne. She really has great information and she's a wonderful guide to the rest Thank of us. You. Thanks again, Anne, for joining me today. Thanks, Emily. It's always fun to talk with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Career Cohort. I'm Emily Wong. You can find all my podcasts and blog posts at wordsofdistinction.net. And if you'd like to chat about how I can help you define the next step in your career and achieve your goals, head on over to the same website and book a time on my calendar for a free consult. In the meantime, please be sure to share, subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you great content. Thank you.